0: Good morning and welcome to episode 869 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by our supporters on Patreon as well as the play index at baseballreference.com. I'm Sam Miller along with Ben Lindbergh of 538. Hey, Ben. Hello. Uh, how are
1: you? Okay. Is this the same Sam Miller who had a opinion piece published in the New York Times this weekend?
0: Only because you were too big shot to do
1: it. <laughs> yeah. I don't stir myself for little rags like the gray lady.
0: We're also joined by Jason Wojcikowski. Hey, Jason. Hi, guys. The official legal analyst of Baseball Prospectus' daily podcast, Effectively Wild. And uh, I don't know if you knew this, but when people ask me my favorite episode, I, um, I always say it was the one when you came on and... Had the discussion with us about uh, the express written consent.
2: Well, that's good. Uh, I don't, I don't remember that. So I hope I gave, uh, I hope I gave good <laughs> advice. But I'm, I'm glad uh, that that somebody enjoyed it, particularly somebody in a position to matter.
0: It was a good couple weeks of the show. The, the show has had some periods where it just feels like for like two weeks, fun things happen. And it was around that time that we had Gabe Kaplan on, and it was around that time that a raccoon was walking on the Roof the ceiling right above me because I was on in my backyard. It was just a
2: wild time. Anyway, I'm excited to rank above both Gabe Kapler and a raccoon. That's that's uh, that's quite good.
1: (laughs) That raccoon now runs the Dodgers R and D department.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You guys, I have a couple of quick banter,s if you don't mind. Uh, Three, in fact, of progressive importance. The first one is the shortest one. I swear, I heard. I might be wrong. But I swear that I heard a commercial today on a baseball radio broadcast uh, that began. It was a woman speaking, and it began. Sometimes diabetes can feel a bit like don't diabetes. <laughs> I, I, I have to hear it again before I believe it. <laughs> okay. Second thing <laughs> after we talked about Trout versus Harper, Trout hit 556, 667. 1,333 on the weekend Or for the next three games He raised his season OPS 200 points in those three games (laughs) He entered Sunday's We're doing this on So we're recording on Sunday He entered Sunday's games With a OPS plus of 168 His career OPS plus is 169 And his war on baseball reference Entering play on Sunday Was the same as Bryce Harper (laughs) Uh, yeah. Third thing is that I happened to be in conversation this weekend with a uh, a player, uh, a Marlins player, who was at the Barry Bonds, the uh, reported Barry Bonds home run derby-ish win over John Carlos Stanton. You guys remember that oh, from spring training? Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Eyewitness testimony.
0: And there was, uh, it was corrected after, the, well, it was contradicted after the fact by Stanton and Yelich, who told John Heyman that it was not a home run derby. In fact, it was just a sort of a. BP kind of like uh it was sort of a contest but it wasn't home runs it was like trying to you know hit to different parts of the field or something like that. Anyway, eyewitness tells me that uh what happened is that uh they uh they goaded bonds into uh picking up a bat. It was off a curveball pitching machine and the first pitch, first curveball bonds sees, he just tracks it. He's he never he's not even considering swing. He just tracks the first pitch, okay? So he's seen one the second pitch he sees uh, hits the batter's eye <laughs> uh, he just it completely bombs one to dead center he takes he takes 12 swings and then drops the bat raises his arm and says 51 years old best there ever was
1: <laughs> so that's even better than the reported story
0: and I asked uh, I asked this person who I'm not naming because this person is not expecting me to tell this story, doesn't know that I have a podcast. <laughs> what bonds would hit? And uh, if he were active today and he says he would hit 320 with 20 bombs.
1: Oh, wow. He looks like he's in excellent shape.
0: It's plausible. 320 with 20 bombs is pl- it's more plausible than whatever Rafael Palmero says he would hit. <laughs>
1: Well, he is with the team that is most likely to, in the second half of the season, just decide to give him that shot.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, so that's all my banter. Ben, unless you have banter, I'm going to jump right into the topic, which begins with banter.
1: Go right ahead.
0: So, you know, uh, Ty goes to the runner. You guys all, you've heard Ty goes to the runner your whole life. And then when you, you know, at some point when you get older, then you start hearing people go, tie goes, there's no rule that says tie goes to the runner. There's no such thing as a tie. There are no ties in nature. And that is very true. However, it is also true. And I don't think that this was necessarily proven, provable until replay. That In fact, there are no technical literal ties. But there are plays that even in super slow motion from multiple angles, you cannot tell which got there first. Amazingly, even slowed down to XMO speed. You cannot always tell whether the ball or the, the runner got there first. So in fact, there is something very, very, very much like a tie. And throughout baseball history, in that situation, the tie would go to the runner. And it occurred to me today that, in fact, replay has killed tie goes to the runner. Because now, tie goes to whatever the call on the field was. It no longer goes to the runner. It just goes to whatever the call on the field was. You just have to if it's inconclusive, we just say whatever the umpire thought. Uh so this is a new victim of replay review. It is not the most important victim of replay review, but the very saying, the very you know rule of thumb that tie goes to the runner is dead because of replay review. So I was thinking about this as I walked home from Trader Joe's today, and in the next two or three hours. Uh, in quick succession, I heard Dave Fleming on the Giants broadcast say that uh, something to the to, something along the lines of, uh, you know, from what he hears around the game, instant replay is not at a particularly high moment of popularity right now. That he's hearing a lot of, you know, sort of grumbling that it's just not really working that well or that it's not implemented cleanly enough or something. You know, there's just a center, general sense of dissatisfaction. And then I saw Jason Vochakovsky uh, doing a little Twitter rant about how he finds it lacking. And then I heard the Houston Astros local radio broadcasters complaining about instant replay. And three different people complaining about three different situations, three different things within like a three-hour period had caused them all to go public with their general dissatisfaction. Of replay as it is And I also have felt This sort of sense of dissatisfaction Not because I am For or against it So much as I'm just sort of generally Underwhelmed with it Relative to how sure we all Were that we were going to love it Like we were completely confident That this had to happen And that this was an important thing for the game And that it would be better And I'm not sure it's better It might be better and it might not be better And, um, so I, we are having Jason on long intro, long, long prelude. We're having Jason on because Jason is our legal, legal scholar and, uh, knows the law. And I wanted to find out from him sort of what, what we can learn from the law, uh, that might help major league baseball fix replay because the law obviously has to do a lot of the things that replay does and somehow manages. So, uh, first of all, Ben and Jason, Give me your takes on replay as it stands right now.
1: Well, if I'm starting, I will I will stick up for replay, I think. I think we always complain about something and and we pick out whatever the problem is at the time. So pre-replay, we complained about the fact that there was no replay and that there were routinely just egregious calls that stood because there was no recourse even though people watching at home or even in the stands could clearly see that these plays should have been called a different way. And that just was an untenable position, it seemed. You couldn't have people in the ballpark, people at home, seeing the mistakes just laid bare, very obviously, in ways that changed the game. And we needed replay. Replay was inevitable. It probably took too long to get here. So now it's far from perfect, and it has had unintended consequences, and maybe hasn't been... Implemented as well as it could have been in certain respects, and so now we complain about the problems with it now, and they are real problems, and there could be improvements, but I think the the problems that we are complaining about now, at least from my perspective, are less serious, less game-altering than the problems that we were complaining about before, and that's fine because that's how things improve, (laughs) that's how the system gets better, and so we pinpoint the problems and Eventually, some of those problems will be fixed. But for me, at least, replay is still a net positive.
2: Sharp take. Uh, Smart (laughs) take. Uh, Jason, what's your take? So I think Ben's 100% right. And at the same time, uh, I, I just don't think replay is fun. <laughs> as i've as i have aged uh, um i really kind of just care about fun more and more and i don't find some of this is implementation right some of this is issues like you know the manager kind of raises his hand and the umpire says okay we'll all stop play and just everybody kind of sits around looking, and the cameras have to find something to do, and the fans, you know, get yelled at by X-ball players for checking their phones, um, and nothing happens during that moment. That's not fun. And then, you know, the, the, the specific issue that I was whining about on Twitter today, um, and that I think Sam has written about, maybe, if I remember right. No, just um, talked about. Oh, okay. Um, it is, is the popping off the base issue. It, you know, you, you slide in, and it is occasioned by an A's game. Uh, not a partisan issue, though, because there's no reason to think that it's, um, I guess, base-stealing teams are probably hurt by replay more than anything else, but um, you slide into the base, you're going about, you know whatever an, an elite athlete runs, and you slide uh, because you can't run through the base, and you hit this this you know whatever it is, 14 inch by 14 inch or something like that bag, and and your body inevitably cannot stay in contact with that item um, for a century. This was fine um, as long as you did not blatantly overslide. You were safe. There, the human eye could not detect that that three millimeters that your body left the bag, and now that's not true now that's uh, those guys are out routinely, uh, and and correctly, in, in some very strict sense of the rule, but um, not in the spirit of it, I don't think. You know, when, when you beat the ball by three feet, and, uh, and the throw was, was kind of up the line a little, and uh, caused the second baseman to have to reach, you stole the base. I mean, you, you stole the base, uh, and it is only the sort of laws of physics um, that kept you uh, from not stealing the base. And I think we're just, you know, it's so new. It's so new to us. We we all grew up um, with that with that person being safe, and we even grew up with slow mo replay uh, that could show that technically they were out, but we did not care <laughs> that they were out um, unless it was our team that got hurt. But we didn't care globally, and and now all of a sudden that global rule has changed, and I just I find it I find it lame. <laughs> you know, I don't find it. Like problematic with a capital P or whatever. I just find it lame.
0: Yeah, so I see some similarities to the way that there are like about a billion laws and regulations that are selectively enforced that a lot of times nobody is paying attention to them. Uh, You can pretty easily drive 66 uh, your whole life without ever uh, being in jail, but you are technically breaking the laws. And the day that somebody decides to go after you, or the day that somebody decides to enforce that law, or the day that somebody just is, you know, having a bad day, uh, you're all of a sudden now exposed to these crimes that you never really worried about, or that the, maybe the penalty is, is uh, life-altering, even though, uh, you know, the world was going along just fine uh, with you breaking whatever <laughs> small law there is. Is there? Well, I don't know. I don't know what, what to ask you. Am I smart? How smart am I? <laughs> uh,
2: it's hard for me to. <laughs> I mean, so one of the one of the things that I that I did say kind of toward the end of of what I was you know talking about on Twitter today was that the law, maybe more on the civil side than the criminal side, has developed essentially ways in which when something is just going to be completely unfair, we seem to find a way around it. When it just seems like a ridiculous outcome is going to happen, that outcome doesn't happen. Um, and, For instance, and, and, can, you, can you give me an example? Not not really. Um, it, it's more, so I think, you know, anybody who's gone to law school will hopefully, uh, depending on, you know, what style they're, they're professors were in, um, have had the question, questions about what was, you know, what was really behind what was happening in this case, you know, because there's the facts as recited in the opinion, and then there's kind of the larger circumstances, the larger surroundings, um, and, and there's just kind of the realities. And judges um, are asked to do things like decide in a contract whether there is consideration for the contract. And it basically means did you give something up for the thing that you got? Um, judges are asked to decide um, whether something was proximately caused by another thing. You know, was the car accident caused by the boulder or by the person who pushed the boulder? And those things are, you know, they dress them up in legal language and they make all sorts of noises and they say Latin and they do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, I think realistically, the answer comes down to what seems like the right answer, <laughs> and um, and where you don't have that kind of safety valve built in. Now, on the other hand, okay, so... Uh, th- there's a problem here with with unelected um, elitist uh, judges making these determinations. Blah blah blah. But you know, as applied to baseball, where you don't have that kind of safety valve built in, you get things like the popping off the bag. You get things like, like I mean, basically like 100 and 100 and whatever years of quote unquote precedent of every time this player ran this way and the ball went this way, that person's been safe. And now all of a sudden they're not, because it turns out they, within the rule book, weren't safe all along. Um, and so you have to ask whether the precedent means anything in, in, I guess, a similar way that you would do with law if you found some way to, I mean, I guess, you know, we could put monitors in all the cars and, and just automatically hand out tickets whenever people, um, whenever people went over a certain speed limit, but... You know for a variety of reasons we don't do that and so we sort of balance other things against strict application and and strict enforcement of the law is another maybe way to think about it so if judges have
0: some leeway to impose common sense on the process recognizing that you know every situation is maybe different and maybe the use of language is flexible and there are all sorts of reasons why a judge might be able to, um, you know, to be smarter about the individual situation than a, you know, strict reading of some statute or whatever. How, why does that work? Why, why doesn't the lawyer who loses because of that judge's decision uh, immediately pull out the rule book, read an extremely literal reading of it, appeal, and win every time? Like the manager who appeals to the guy in with the with the TV screens.
2: Well, because appellate judges are judges too, (laughs) and they have their, they have appellate judges have theories on what the law means, what the prior precedent means, what the statute means, you know, and it's, it's, uh, I mean, this is why five, four cases at the Supreme Court exist. It's some of it's political, some of it's personal, some of it's, um, genuine dispute, you know, honest, good faith, (laughs) whatever you want to put it, dispute, but it's, it's never really been the case that strict... There's no objective. There's no such thing as objective interpretation, right? That's that's kind of a, that's something that we've started to admit to ourselves. I hope, as a people, and so you know, yeah, you'll you'll appeal on those grounds if that's where your client um, needs you to go for that particular case. And of course, you'll make the opposite argument the next time around um, if a more liberal reading of the statute is is what helps your client the next time around. Just like. You know, a manager would get red in the face about um, the size of the strike zone, depending on depending on whether his team pitching or or batting. It's it's not really it's not really different in that way.
1: So, do you think that the fault lies in these cases where you think that replay has been over applied or you know been taken too far? Is it that people failed to anticipate the consequences or? Is it that they framed the rules poorly? Is it a failing of language or a failing of intention.
2: I think it's a failure to I don't think they looked at the video (laughs) and realized how many times uh things were things like coming off the bag were happening. Um and and how much of the game wasn't being strictly was not being sort of strictly rule booked. Um it not not so dissimilar, I guess, from what Pitch FX has taught us about the strike zone and about pitch framing and those kinds of things, we learn that um, that I mean, we all knew that the rulebook strike zone was was not there, but we learned about the different strike zones for the different sides of the plate. And, um, you know, it's been a process to, to kind of work through, and I think it's still being worked through, what we're going to do about that kind of thing long term. And I think with replay, it's the same. Um, I don't think anybody realized j- just how umpires were essentially, were, were making a lot of fairness type decisions. It's like that the, the runner beat the ball, he's safe. And you know you don't again you don't you don't apply that when they overslide. You don't apply that when um, whatever it makes a stupid slide and somehow winds up uh, you know tagged out in an obvious way. But you use those heuristics because you don't have any ability as a human to see at that at the level that the cameras do. And I, I don't know that anybody realized necessarily um, just how just what was happening on a, on a not quite microscopic level.
0: Yeah, they they MLB before implementing this, I think basically tested to see how many calls would be overturned, how many calls would be challenged and I presume, I don't know this, but I presume that they looked at all the close plays and saw well how often do umpires get it right on these close plays, but what we're talking about are not closed plays. These are plays that would never have been challenged, that were not seen as controversial. And what we've done is essentially replay is being used like kind of completely different than it was. It is finding controversy in the non-controversial plays far more than winning the plays that we were all mad about.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I think uh, I don't. I, I hesitate to make a, a sort of empirical claim because because the plays we were mad about you know those are going away those are you know those are um yeah being overturned uh you know and I, and I don't know the degree to which uh the the plays we weren't mad about are are making us mad or making some of us mad anyway um uh a number of people see I actually I sort of polled the audience you know whatever audience my people on Twitter are, um, and, and a handful of people are completely okay with the problem, the quote unquote problem that I identified. Uh, mm-hmm. By the way, you know, they, they the rule says you have to be on the bag if the ball right. is touching you, you know, and they're completely fine that technology has allowed us to actually enforce that rule. And that's, I do, a, that's yeah, an entirely I, reasonable position.
0: I wonder how unhappy we would be right now if they weren't calling that. Like if there was no explicit carve out in the, in the rule for that and we saw it every time and we're like, why don't they call that? Like it, it would be like how we're upset that they never call the batter not getting out of the way of a hit by pitch,
2: perhaps. Yeah, or the three oh gimme strike or some some yeah. of these other things that still exist um, mm-hmm. despite us knowing knowing that they exist.
0: But yeah. it seems it seems to me though that the point of replay is maybe the point of replay is to be as literally correct as possible like it, maybe it's maybe this is something we'll get used to and this is fine that we will see baseball as being a much more demanding game in some sense because you have this very precise uh margin of error for what is safe and what is out maybe we will grow to love that it will be it will make the game harder for sure so maybe that's that'll be fine but
2: yeah i was i think i would like a system that reflects players knowing what the correct call. Is. You know, like umpires exist because there's too much money and there's too much pride and there's too much whatever for the players to call their own calls, right? This is not ultimate frisbee. Um, there's no, there's no spirit of the game. Um, they don't, they don't care. They will lie and cheat and steal in order to win. So you have to have umpires. But you know, on a on a close play, I think players have a sense of um, of whether they are out or safe and, and, you, and you see players um, you know signaling toward the dugout challenge it challenge it challenge it or I, I think uh, I think maybe, Opening weekend, maybe uh, Brett Laurie was involved in a a close play on a steal or or something like that, and kind of come back to the dugout making like jazz hands. Like he wasn't sure. He's like 50/50. I'm not really sure. And it's those 50/50 calls where the player, even the player involved in the play who feels the tag come onto them or who feels their glove on the guy's leg, doesn't actually know. Um, whether they were out or safe, those ones being overturned feels, feels weird to me in, in a way that it's like the player knows they slapped that tag on the leg before, or they know that they put a tag on period, you know, where the umpire says, no, you missed him completely. It's like, I felt the end of my glove, you know, those kinds of plays where the player knows, but you've just got to convince someone you got to argue yeah. correctly. Um, and, and those, I, I, uh, you know, I, I see as as the sort of ideal replay overturned, not even necessarily egregious versus unegregious, egregious or, or just, you know, just the ones where we get to pretend that the umpires don't, don't exist. Well, it seems to me that
0: both of your complaints, the, the managers sort of del- stalling while they check the tape to, you know, before they do it and the pop-off type, uh, the type of plays where you're finding this little, almost like glitch in the matrix that you can, exploit rather than, uh, you know, sort of true controversial play, it seems like they can both be solved just by removing the video room. Because the, if the point is that the we like the umpires, we like umpires calling the game, but they're fallible, they, they get things wrong, it's really hard to tell these plays sometimes, and so they get it wrong. Well, we're trying to strengthen those calls. We're trying to basically make their eyes better. And so it seems fair to say that a manager should have the same view, that if everybody in the involved in the game has basically it, their own eye view of the game, it brings it more to the kind of common sense use of replay that we were expecting. And it saves us this sort of burdensome, like, oh, well, well, they, you know, it feels like replays feel like, like fait accompli a, a lot of times because they, they already know, and it, I don't know, it, it's boring to watch them Get approval. Maybe that's not an issue. I'm sure a lot of people are like, what's wrong with that? But you'd get rid of both of them if you just took the video room out of the equation and made them, you know, use their best judgment. Basically, make the manager beat the umpire at umpiring. Instead of giving the manager this, like, you know, 12 TV screens in order to use technology to beat the umpire, make him beat the umpire at umpiring. And that feels like a fair way to, to, uh, a fair thing to ask of them.
1: Or take the system out of the manager's hands entirely. Or that that ship has probably sailed. But that's another option. Just take remove the challenge system and concentrate on umpires umpiring themselves. Yeah. Although then
0: uh, I, that that would also do this. But then we would still be mad when the eye in the sky missed a call, or when the eye in the sky missed the you know the runner who who doesn't touch first base on a triple. And we might still see that in a replay on Coors Light cam and then be mad and think that the league is, you know, biased against our team or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, In this case, though, if the if the manager misses it, then it's the manager's fault. And we're fine being mad at our managers like there's somebody to place that blame on. Mm -hmm. And that does seem like the like half the point of this sort of feels like in my mind is to get it right. And half of it is to just have somebody who I can be mad at when they get it wrong. <laughs> if it's if it's ticky tack, I mean, I don't want bad calls, but I don't. I also don't want free floating anxiety over these kind of much more ambiguous calls.
2: I think that the conspiracy theories are also something that I find more obnoxious than amusing. You know, the 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 hashtag bias um, is not all that fun, and you know. Yeah, to the extent we can get rid of any ground, I, we can't ever get rid of it. That's the beauty of being conspiracy theorist. But you know, oh, they they called they called so many calls against our guy at second base it just doesn't exist anymore. And yeah, the, because there's a manager there um, who would, who gets to overturn you. You do eliminate that. Maybe other people find those things a lot more amusing than I do.
1: Does either of you expect this to be a regular subject of conversation five years from now, ten years from now? I mean, is this a inherent problem of replay technology that we are going to be grappling with for the rest of the game's existence? Or is this just a, a simple tweak to one or two rules that would resolve most of the lingering reluctance to embrace this stuff?
0: I'm very surprised that the pop-up slide or the pop, you know, the pop-off whatever slide wasn't addressed this offseason. It felt like this was something that everybody was pretty unhappy about by early last season. So, if it was simple, I would have thought they'd have knocked it out. So maybe it's not simple.
2: Yeah, I don't think it is simple to to address that one sort of point. You know, there there are larger changes you can make that would also addressed that point like the you know the fifth umpire in the booth thing where the fifth umpire would just never challenge that kind of call or you know other other types of um, other types of fixes but I, I'm not sure how you can eliminate eliminate that call you know may, maybe at some point we will get the I think may, some, so, somebody told me Sam that you've suggested a sort of airspace around the bag um, kind of solution and uh, you know I just I don't know if the technology is there for that one. Yet that would be a perfectly nice one-off solution. But feasible plus narrowly tailored, to take another legal term. Um, I I don't know if it is easy to find that combination.
1: Yeah, for me, uh, these are all valid concerns and things that I hope will get worked out as we get a a bigger sample of post-replay baseball. But I think all of this is worth it for me just to do away with The times when we don't know what happened or when we do know what happened and what happened was not consistent with what the umpires called. There's a moment in our book, which I will not spoil, but it's a pivotal moment in a game and a play occurs and essentially no one knew for sure what happened and everyone had a strong opinion, but in the Pacific Association, there is no replay. And so there was no way to establish. There was no objective record that we could all point to, even for our own satisfaction after the game and establish conclusively what happened. And that impotence, that, you know, helplessness that there was nothing to appeal to is something that baseball fans no longer have to deal with. And, A lot of those moments have been big parts of baseball history. And in retrospect, maybe they enrich baseball's history, you know, like things like Merkel's Boner or something, you know, plays that people continue to talk about a century after they happened, it enriches baseball's history in a way. But if you were rooting for the team that was wrong that day or think you were you would gladly, I think, welcome some edge cases where things weren't always ideal in exchange for having an answer and having it usually be the correct answer.
0: I think I agree with pretty much everything you just said. I, though, do think that if there's a lesson to this, it's that we, I mean, a lot of the arguments against replay beforehand, we just completely mocked them as being so, so pointless, so nothing. And in a, I don't know that they necessarily anticipated these problems, but in a way, they did. In a way, those arguments did anticipate it. I mean, it, this does. There is something sort of non-human about the some of these calls, and if that's the human element, I fine. I'm 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 not recommending we go back, but what I am saying is that. We're never going back now. Once once replay comes out, it's out. It, you do not put that back in the bottle. And the next time there is something that seems like the most obvious progress in the world, uh, we might just be a little bit more conscious of the fact that it's not going to go as smoothly as we
1: think. Right. That like balls people, and strikes, maybe. Right. Robot, robot Exactly.
0: Right. It's not going to go as smoothly as we think. The objections that some other people feel deep in their heart might be more valid and universal than we're giving credit to, and that it's probably, in fact, is probably better uh, to be conservative uh, on the side of not changing the game uh, than to change it if the direction, if movement only goes in one direction. In a, in a, basically, if you can al- you can always add it next year. If you don't do it this year, but you can't take it back next year if you do. So it weighs the scale a little bit more, I think.
2: If I, if I could raise a different sport, and I know people disagree with me on this too, but I'm not sure that knowing is always, uh, this is kind of from what Ben said, uh, always the best thing either. The NBA in the last couple of years ha- has taken to, after a game, after a close call, after a, a foul or a non-foul, issuing sort of proclamations, that was a foul. That was not a foul. And, you know, so for instance, the Rockets beat the Warriors in, in game three of their playoff series and they said, you know, this should have been a foul. This shot should not have counted. That would have changed the outcome of the game and therefore the series and therefore blah, blah, blah. I'm not sure who that benefits. Um, I, I don't know who actually wanted to know this. Um, all it does is um, make Rockets fans upset and feel like the one game that they won in the series was illegitimate, and it makes Warriors fans feel aggrieved. And who wins from that? Who wins from 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 your these fans feeling aggrieved? They don't change the outcome. They don't, you know, uh, replay the game. They don't George Brett it, you know, Pintar. So um, they just... Just they just say should have done that, and that's the end of it. And so th- that kind of knowing, um, even I-, I-, I think, is not always an inherent, an inherent good. They, I, but maybe other people like knowing. Maybe I'm in a strong minority about those those uh, those proclamations. I
0: will also just note that I lived through the same play that Ben described, and I don't feel the same way. I actually think that while there is a part of me that desperately wishes that that I had finality on that play or that I had closure on that play and knew without a doubt and didn't have to think about which way it went and what it means that it went that way and didn't go another way and all that I also think that somebody observing me with you know keen understanding of the human psyche would probably would probably know that in fact I'm no less happy because of it my enjoyment Of the game, the season, the play Itself is no less because of it And uh, in fact To some degree I might have enjoyed It a lot more uh, because of the Lack of knowing, so I'm not sure I agree, Ben, that your example Is a good example
1: I think uh, as someone who had to write a book About that game, I think it worked out For us, (laughs) so (laughs) I don't Mind that much either The uncertainty is, is a good story Okay, so you can find Jason On Twitter, where he sometimes conducts polls and uh, rants about instant replay and has a background picture of iZombie, at JL Woj. He also blogs about the A's at beanball.org, and he co-edits the BP annual. He's also a lawyer. Jason, thank you. Thank you. All right. Good wife and Winterfell await, so that is it for today. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Wild. Today's five Patreon supporters Reed DeWolf, AJ Lee, Wayne Brandis, Neil Mullen, and Jesse Severay Thanks! You can buy our book, and you can hold it in your hands a week from tomorrow If you pre-order now, it's called The Only Rule Is It Has To Work Official publication date is May 3rd It is the story of how Sam and I took over an independent league team last summer And tried to implement some sabermetric principles You've been hearing me make some variation of this announcement for weeks now I hope that if you haven't pre-ordered yet, you've just been waiting for the time to be right. But we do hope that you will pre-order the book and get it on day one. You can do so now at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or your local bookstore. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at podcast at baseballperspectus.com or by messaging us through Patreon. And you can get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription to the play index at baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP when you subscribe. We will be back tomorrow show sure, and it's so slow flashing through my mind. The day was the day.